Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Now, one topic that always seems to capture the interest of history lovers when studying the past is an unsolved murder case. We live in a time where crime shows, movies, and true crime documentaries are streamed almost with a morbid fascination as part of our pop culture. I think most of us have been drawn to ponder the occasional whodunit from time to time. But these stories always take on a different light when the reality of a tragic crime strikes close to home. Today we have a special guest returning to the program, Blaine Pardot, who is the author of several books, and one book in particular, Murder in Battle Creek, The Mysterious Death of Daisy Zick. Today, we're going to discuss his research into this tragic case that remains an unsolved murder today in the city and take you through the timeline of this horrible event. So, a word of caution, if you find the topic of true crime murder disturbing, you may want to pause this episode and revisit it at a later date or shelter certain ears that you don't want to have hear it. But uh, welcome to the show, Blaine. This is going to be fun and interesting. Thank you for taking time to be on the podcast today. Well, I'm always glad to come on and talk about stuff I've written about. And the Daisy Zick case is fascinating. Um, I, I get more questions about this probably than anything else that I've ever written, because, especially from folks in the Battle Creek area. Yeah, I think it's a pretty hot topic of interest because there's a lot of people still around that remember her. You know, I've, I've come across a few since I've been doing history videos and the podcast, and I've been asked a few times about this particular book. So uh, for, for the audience members who maybe missed some of your earlier interviews with me, could you give a short background of yourself and, and tell us how you became interested in this case? Well, I'm Blaine Pardo. I'm a New York Times bestselling author. Um, I write in a lot of different genres. I write true crime, military history. I also write science fiction, um, military books. I write, you know, political thrillers, etc. I I got drawn into this because I'm a fan of true crime genre. And this was one, uh, having attended Waddles Park Junior High, I walked by the Zick home, you know, to go to school. Um, You know, it was a well-known story that I was brought up with. And, you know, a lot of people had weird and varying opinions on what happened, et cetera. But it was one of those things that kind of stuck with me. I knew the area. I used to deliver papers on the route right where Daisy's car had been found wow. uh, the day of the murder. So, I, you know, it was one of those things that really kind of clicked with me. And I was like, okay, I need to do an in-depth dive to this. And so I... Uh, worked with the Michigan State Police to actually get a copy of the uh, case file for this and uh, started with that, interviewed members of the Zick family and things along those lines to really kind of craft together as best I could what had happened. Wow. So can we start by talking about who Daisy Zick was and maybe cover some of her background? You know, I I like Daisy as a person. It's kind of weird how you kind of bond with it, someone you don't know, but mm-hmm. I kind of like her her character. At a very young age, she got pregnant. Um, she lived up in the Hastings area and and ended up, you know, essentially um, 
raising a child on her own. Um, she was married for a while to to uh, the man she was dating, uh, etc. And that ended. You know, he was he was a rough character, and they got a divorce. Which, if you think about divorce prior to nineteen sixty, it was such a taboo, right? Um, to have. Um, you know, she raised a child all on her own. Um, yeah, it was remarkable. And, well, her family helped her, obviously. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, she really, I think, overcame quite a bit. Um, she was she was a trailblazer uh, in that respect. You know, she was one of those people that rose above that. She worked at Kellogg's, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, narrows down to about half of Battle Creek in some way, shape or form at the time. Right. Um, she worked at Kellogg's. Uh, Daisy got married to a man named Floyd Zick. Uh, Daisy was flirtatious and she had extramarital affairs. Hmm. I, you know, I've never been able to determine if her husband actually knew about those, but, uh, you know, Daisy had a life beyond her marriage. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily bad. If you think about, you know, she was murdered in 1963. We, you know, we were coming up on that age where that, that was more and more, Known and mm-hmm. Daisy was not secretive about this. I mean, it was you know, Battle Creek's a small town, and people knew about it and they talked about it, and that right. adds a little bit to the problem of it because a lot of people have formed opinions of Daisy based on that. Um, you know, I hate yeah. saying this, but I've had people say, Well, she kind of brought this on herself for her lifestyle, and I'm like, Nobody brings on a brutal murder, right? right. Um, that, that's you know that that's irrelevant you know i i think she was just ahead of the curve for where a lot of americans ended up you know a decade later so mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of her background right okay so could you take us through some of the timeline maybe starting with the morning that she went missing and then when her body was found and well it was brutally cold um and snowy um you know, the, and it was the kind of day that nobody went out in. I mean, we're, we're talking with the wind chills, you know, single digits and below. Hmm. Um, they, it was January 4th or uh, 10th of January, uh, 1963. Um, Daisy was, or I, I'm sorry, January 14th, 1963. Daisy worked the afternoon shift at Kellogg's. Her husband worked at Fales Market. Uh, Floyd Zick did. Uh, mm-hmm. Floyd left her in the morning to go to work at the market. He was a butcher at the market. Um, Mm. So, you know, if you know the small town markets, Floyd was visible, you know, Mm -hmm. he was, he was a presence. You, you, people saw him. So there wasn't a time when Floyd could have snuck out to do this. Uh, He called her at one point. Um, We know from phone records, she placed several calls about insurance that morning. Uh, Her neighbors noticed Around 10 a.m., a figure at her her side entrance door to the house, mm-hmm. um, kind of a mudroom area between the garage and the and and the house itself. Um, the person was wearing a dark uh, coat, etc. And whoever it was, it appeared to be male, uh, but it's hard to tell, you know. And nobody was outside when they saw this. This is people looking through their windows on a cold winter day. Right. Um, whoever this person was entered the house, 
Um, and then we enter the realm of what happened in the house. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, mm-hmm. you know, to the actual murder itself. But what we do know is that about 45 minutes to an hour later, her car left the house uh, and was found abandoned on Michigan Avenue, of all places, hmm. uh, over by where the old Sandstone Motel used to be, kind of across from where Pine Knoll Golf Course used to be. Okay. Um, car was just abandoned there. Um, so someone drove it there, left it and, uh, walked off. Now there was actually a police officer that day who was taking someone to court and saw a guy walking down the road, not far from the car and was tempted to give the person a lift, but they had a criminal in the back seat they were taking to court. So they really couldn't do that. Wow. Little did they realize they were probably looking at the killer wow. um, at this point. And, from that point on, we enter the realm of mystery when it comes to what happened. Um, other than we've been able to kind of piece together, I talked with several law enforcement officers about what actually probably took place in that house at that time. Wow. So, yeah, and so you were able to speak to some of the original police detectives when you were doing yeah. the interviews for the book. Wow. Yeah. So did they help you kind of walk through the the crime scene photos? I know that you have some of them in your book. Yeah, we do. I, you know, and I'm not one of those people that does the gratuitous, gory pictures either. Mm-hmm. We, we we don't show the dead body itself. We kind of gray that out. But uh, from what we know, whoever it was, uh, Floyd Zick, uh, you know, he found the car and uh, – he got a call that his car was abandoned on the on the road there. He went there and checked it out, thinking the car had broken down because of the weather. The car mm-hmm. was fully functional. Um, went home and, and found Daisy in one of the forward bedrooms. And what the police have kind of pieced together, based on what Floyd found that day, et cetera, uh, as well as the physical evidence of what was found is, someone knocked at that door, and whoever it was, Daisy was willing to let that person in. All right. So, you know, it almost implies that it's somebody that she knew or was comfortable with enough to let in. And and we know that because the crime took place in the house and there were the small rug in that uh, little mud room was actually wet from someone's boots or shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, when you enter from that point, you enter the kitchen area of the Zick house and the phone was off the hook uh, in that room. There's a small little cubby for the phone. Right. Um, and the belief was who, whatever happened, at some point that the murderer struck Daisy with the phone mm-hmm. and incapacitated her and took her to her bedroom where she was thrown down, face down, and her hands were bound behind her. Uh, whoever this person was proceeded to stab her several times in the back. Wow. Um, she had six puncture wounds f- in the back. Um, Daisy fought back to her credit um, with her hands tied behind her back. There's not a lot you could do, but there were broken fingernails, you know, in the bedroom that really led to the police to believe that she put up a, a very good struggle despite, you know, wow. having her hands bound. Uh, she fought with this person, um, tried to make a break for it, ended up in another bedroom, 
where she collapsed on the floor. Whoever the killer was actually straddled her body and uh, struck her viciously with a, a cutting implement, uh, struck her with 15 wounds to her left breast. Four of those were clustered very close together, which, you know, that's your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a laceration on her left collarbone. She had four cuts on her upper left arm. So, I mean, she, whoever this person was from all accounts and from what I've seen in the crime scene photo in detail, um, this person literally straddled her body and was stabbing her viciously over and over and over again. So this wasn't a, a, a light killing. This was somebody who had a, a beef with Daisy wow. and, and this was a deeply emotional killing. Whoever this person was, was wearing gloves and they were those yellow furry kind of gloves popular in the sixties, you know, with the red uh, cuff on them. Hmm. Cause shards of those were found not only in the bedroom, but they were also found in the car. Hmm. Uh, whoever this person was took her car, drove it. And for some reason abandoned it on Michigan Avenue and walked away. Wow. That is a, you know, you know, somebody in a rage state and you think maybe, maybe the person was on drugs or, but yeah, was it a hit? You know, was she really the victim of somebody just really trying to kill her for, as a revenge killing? I mean, it really. Well, you know, there's the speculation's been across the board, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it was the, the reason this case I think permeated Battle Creek so much is you know, the first place they looked was where Daisy worked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they found evidence of her her current beau at work, um, Raymond Mercer, uh, in her locker. You know, they interviewed him, and his alibi seemed to be pretty solid. Mm-hmm. She was supposed to be meeting with a friend of hers before she went on the afternoon shift, Audrey Heminger, Um Audrey was brought in and interrogated and got so upset she just left and police allowed her to leave an interrogation, which I've never heard of before. And neither had the officers that did it. They said it was very weird that they'd let her go. Usually they don't let somebody just storm out, Uh Um, you know, et cetera. Obviously they interrogated Floyd Zick, but Floyd's alibi is air freaking tight. Uh A lot of people thought, well, he must've been jealous about, you know, Daisy having an affair and, and had killed her in some rage, but his he's fully accounted for for the entire day, yeah. except when he found the body. Um, you know, so you start piecing these little bits and pieces together. Mm-hmm. Then you add the fact that they went to Kellogg's and they said, okay, so who didn't show up to work at Kellogg's this day? Right. And each one of those people was then polygraphed. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you start casting your net that wide, um, you know, it becomes something where, and imagine these, the, a lot of these people had a lot of explaining to do because Daisy's reputation was known. It wasn't publicized in the paper or anything, but you know, it, it was known. So you imagine, you know, you go home and go, well, what happened to you today? Well, I got polygraphed because, you know, I wasn't at work. Some of these guys were skipping off work and their wives didn't know it. Mm. Uh, Some of them suspected that their husbands may have had affairs with Daisy and maybe that's why they were being polygraphed. So there were a (laughs) lot of accusations and a lot of, you know. Yeah, that's a 
back talk, I would say, uh, factory talk at Kellogg's about all of this. Um, but in the end, you know, polygraphs aren't really reliable. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, it, you're dealing 1963. There's no DNA evidence testing in 1960s. You know, that doesn't come across until the 1990s and beyond that we really start getting into DNA uh-huh. testing. Were any um, of her, um, any of the crime scene, you know, material found s- stored and tested for DNA in later years? Or that's a great question. The answer is it is still being maintained. Michigan law requires that an unsolved murder they retain the physical evidence for one century. Mm-hmm. Wow! So the the clothing is still sitting in a vault somewhere. Uh, maintained by the Michigan State Police. Has it been tested? Uh, The last time I had checked um, with my last contact that I had on this case, it had not been tested. Hmm. And I think that actually might yield quite a bit of information because when you're doing a stabbing like this, it's almost inevitable that the killer injures their own hand in the process. You know, it is such a violent and vicious act it's it's distinctly possible that there's blood or some sort of DNA evidence there. And when you look at some of these new technologies that are out there, like MVAC, et cetera, that can extract DNA, mm-hmm. uh, be it perspiration from the killer or whatever, um, it, you would think that the, that could be done. Um, the problem is it's really hard for police to go back and open cold cases that are this cold and there's not a big desire to do that which i think is an injustice to the family Mm -hmm. there's also not a lot of money for that with all this talk of defunding the police the first place that they started cutting was cold cases Uh and you know so they really only want to hop on ones that they think they can solve pretty easily and quickly that's that is definitely a, a flaw in the system that needs to be changed somewhere along the line, you know? Oh, yeah. So in your book, you go over several different suspects that emerged during the investigation. Um, I know one of them was a postman. Oh, yeah. yeah. William Daly. Um, you know, and you got to remember, Daisy was flirtatious daisy Mm -hmm. was she she you know i talked with one guy who was a young kid at the time and they used to sneak up to her hedge line because she would sunbathe topless in her backyard Mm -hmm. and that you know how kids are that's big that's a big thrill you know that that stuff like that so daisy's flirtatious the the michigan state police really focused on daily and I, I tend to believe if anybody did it, it was probably him. And there's another suspect, Albert Cooley, I'll talk about in a few minutes as well. Mm-hmm. Daly was the postman who delivered there. And whoever delivered there got around that neighborhood without being noticed. Right. Um, you know, no nobody pays attention to the postman even on a cold day delivering packages. You know, mm-hmm. it's the greatest. You can walk along wearing, and at that point, you you wore your long coat. You know, your mm-hmm. blue coat as a postman. You know, you could have attacked somebody, gotten blood on a dark blue coat, and it's not going to necessarily show up. Mm-hmm. And people aren't paying attention to it. Um, it certainly was the right time of day for the postman to be there. Um, you know, it makes sense in some respects. Daly was violent with his wife. Um, there was a lot of circumstantial evidence about him, you know, 
at the time, changing routes, et cetera, right after the killing, uh-huh. um, which kind of points to, to him, his degree of involvement. Uh, there were several people that saw who was driving the car, and the person had kind of a distinct hairstyle. It was uh-huh. split down the middle and parted off to the sides. For the now, for now, that's not a distinct hairstyle. But you got to remember, 1963. Everybody's either wearing a crew cut or not. Right. Uh, right. And um, several of them identified that distinct hairstyle, etc. And cool, you know, when you look at William Daly, he had that hairstyle. Huh. Um, they really tried to pin him down on this several times. Um, and, and couldn't do it. And when Daly was dying of cancer, uh, they went down and actually tried to confront him about it, and, and he refused to to cooperate. So, oh. uh, but why would he? Why would a postman take the car? I mean, that. Why? I mean, wasn't he? Didn't he have a jeep know. or something like that? I mean, you know, I don't know because a lot of times a postman might park and then walk his route. It wasn't, you know. Right. You know, and if you think about whoever it was, it was somebody Daisy would let in the house. Now, if it was, let's say, the wife of Raymond Mercer, which I've always wondered why they didn't spend more time focusing on her. You know, is she Mm -hmm. a jilted wife? You know, did she find out that Daisy was sleeping with her husband and decide to kill him? You know, somebody shows up at your door and they're angry with you. You're not going to say, well, step in, you know, and Mm -hmm. come on in my house. Um so, you know, could it be that Daly flirted with Daisy and, you uh-huh. know, she shut him down and that upset him? I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Daly's son went on and he's actually uh, been uh, indicted on criminal charges for murder down in Florida. Oh, wow. You, know, you can't really say, well, gee, the apple falls far from the tree type thing. You want to say that, but, you yeah. know, just he's violent doesn't mean that you know it's it's because his father's a murderer but uh, yeah everything really pointed to daily but you know with the technology that was in the hands in the 1960s there's not you know unless you're going to get a good confession you're not going to get what you need there yeah yeah that's sad also the dna and all that you know well albert cooley was he was a local guy uh he was he was a, a, an oddball character in the area. Um, several people claimed that he, you know, he had insinuated that he was somehow involved with this. The police went to, to meet with him at the garage where he worked, and he agreed to come and take a polygraph with them and then killed himself that night. Wow. Um, wow. Now, you know, people, and I've even had members of the Cooley family reach out to me, and they're like, we're sure it was Albert. Um, wow. his family actually had a long string of suicides in them. You know, it, it, it's well known. Uh, it sure looks bad, Yeah, but does that mean he did it? Again, we don't, you know, there's no connection necessarily between him and Daisy. Right. Um, and, and that's the problem. Whoever did this, had a connection with Daisy. Uh-huh. You, you don't stay, if you're going to just kill somebody, let's say I want to hire you to kill somebody uh-huh. for me. You're going to go and kill them and get away as quickly as possible. Right. Whoever this person was spent time in the Zick house, tied her up. Um, 
you know, brutally murdered her. It, it, you know, overkill is what the police referred to it as. Yeah, when I read your book, it did seem like it was a, a personalized rage killing against, you know, somebody going after her, like they yeah. wanted to punish her or something. It just seemed really bizarre, you know. Well, one of the investigators said, you know, if you look at the attack on her breasts, especially her left breast where mm-hmm. she was stabbed, that could be indicative of a woman doing the murder. Could um, be, yeah. You know, that it was, you know, this is, a, this is an attack on a, the female part of the body. It could be an angered woman. Um, I'm just finding that a little bit hard to believe. It, you know, and it's always hard to believe a woman's the murderer. Right. In something like this. Uh, and it's harder to believe in the 1960s even. Um, you know, you, it's hard to picture that. But I can't quite rule that out. It mm-hmm. certainly looks like it. But we have people that saw the person driving the car. And while the hairstyle was different, it it, it just doesn't strike me that, that that was a female driving the car. They, they all identified the person as male. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it could be just an ugly woman. Could be, yeah, could be, could be. So then there was also a uh, a prison confession from some guy that was locked up down in Florida or something like that. That yeah, we've had a few of those surface just about every murder case in uh-huh. some way, shape, or form. You get people that confess to these things, and they almost always don't pan out. Uh-huh. Um, I, it, it's so incredibly rare. I'm actually surprised that police even pay attention to them at this point, having researched a lot of cold cases. Mm-hmm. Um, they almost always are complete BS, but oh. you know, it, it, it just never quite pans out. Um, to, to date, no one for sure has been named as Daisy's killer, but um, hmm. I, I tend to go that the police, I think, were on the right track. I think they, with William Daly, they they had really focused on him, and I think they had him dead to rights. Right. Um, you know, it, the fact that he wouldn't uh, submit to an interrogation or, or provide them any biological samples when they went down um, before his death, um, you know, why wouldn't you? Right. Well, right. you know. You know, I, if I was innocent, I'd be like, sure, come on in and talk to me. Yeah, I'm dying of cancer, but I'll, you know, I don't want you to, I don't want my name to be dragged through the mud. I'll, I'll clear my name. Right, right. Uh, this is somebody who didn't do that. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that was definitely one of the ones that stood out the most in your book is that he seemed, you know, obviously the shadow might go on to the man that committed suicide too, but. It's just a, really a sad tragedy. So what happened to her family after after this was all said and done? I know she's buried at Bedford Township Cemetery. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jim, her son, um, I actually got to interview him. He died, I think, I want to say a year or two ago. He passed away. Okay. Um, which was really sad. You know, it, that was the one of the most moving interviews I ever did with someone who's sitting with Jim and talking to him about his mother. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, it was like the years melted off the guy and it, he was 14 or 15 years old again, mm-hmm. you know, and, and talking about how he loved his mother. And, you know, he's had to put up with a lot of people 
dropping accusations about her flirtatious lifestyle, etc., all his entire life. But he's also had to live with the fact that no one was ever brought to justice for killing his mother. Right. Um, and, you know, he, he was such a loving um, person. I know uh, he had um, children. I know um, his granddaughter, I think, just recently moved down to Florida, or his daughter did. Um mm-hmm. So you know the the Zick family is still out there, and and they they still want answers to it too, and mm-hmm. and I don't blame them. Right. So because of budget cuts, probably nobody is currently working on this as a cold case for to find uh, her. You'd be surprised. I do get tips. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things when you write about a cold case, right. you are going to get tips. I got a tip. I would say three months ago. Hmm. Somebody was like, I know who did it. Uh, it's almost always an estranged husband. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but they're like, I know my ex-husband did it. Um, yeah. Still a lot of bitterness out there. I pass those on to the Michigan State Police. Okay. I never hear back on those things. Uh, it's it, it's the nature of being a writer when you write true crime on cold cases. Mm-hmm. It's a one-way street. The police aren't going to go, yeah, we investigated it and we... All right, found all right. out what happened, uh, but I do send the tips on because mm-hmm. um, the book has do- generated probably two dozen tips over the years now. Yeah, that would be expected at least. You know, at least. Yeah, well, somebody out there knows something. Mm-hmm. It, either they can corroborate what the known list of suspects are, or they can say, "Wait, I know who did it. He confessed to me at a bar one night that he did it," and go from there and i and i'm hoping that somebody does come out and say that eventually hmm. yeah that would be nice to see it open and finally get it bring it to closure for at least the surviving members of the family you now um how old, how long did uh, mr zick live after daisy when did he pass away well you know floyd became uh, a struggling alcoholic he mm-hmm. remarried um and he passed away um I want to say in the seventies, I, I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly, but he, he passed away. A lot of people, it, it's interesting. A lot of people still accuse him of doing it. I, I see it now and then when, if something gets posted on Facebook about this, they're like, well, obviously Floyd did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was part of what he struggled with is every, despite the fact he had a completely 100% airtight alibi during all of this, it was still kind of implicated that he had something to do with it. And I don't know if he and Daisy lived in a, what we would call now an open marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he probably knew that she was having affairs and, and tolerated that. You know, we don't know the depth and nature of their relationship. And, right. you know, I think it's wrong for people to go, well, you know, your wife was fooling around. She ended up dead. You must've been the one that killed her. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's going to tear tear you up. Yeah, no just to be accused that. of, yeah, not only you're suffering from the loss of your wife, you also, you know, you're being accused of that, and there's, you're not getting any vindication by catching the person, you know. And he remained in that house for an, a long time afterwards, too, wow. which I would, I would struggle just with that. Uh, yeah. All on its own. Uh, one of those stranger things when, when we were doing, when I was in town doing the book signing for this, the people who had just bought that house showed up, mm. and they were like, 
people have been driving by the house since the book came out and staring at it. And we didn't know what, what, what the draw was until one of the neighbors gave us your book. Oh, wow. Um, you know, which that has to be kind of a creepy thing too, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the story's in there, the, the evidence, you know, and, and to a certain degree, I would imagine there's some evidence there. If you pulled up the rugs, you, mm-hmm. you're going to find bloodstains and stuff on the wood. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's a, very difficult thing and the house really looks i i went by it not too long ago it really looks almost identical as to how it looked the day of the crime wow wow so if people were able to give you any kind of tips where could they reach out to you do you have a website uh, i do have a website uh, it's blamepardo.com uh, my email address is real simple it's bpardo870 at aol.com okay and obviously, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can reach out to me there if you've got a tip that's tangible. Uh-huh. Just understand, anything you give to me, I'm not a detective. I'm a researcher right. and a writer. Uh-huh. I'm passing on anything you give me to the authorities. And I always kind of caution people with that because if you're reaching out to me, the minute you reach out to me, I can't take it back. If you've given it to me, mm-hmm. my goal is to see this resolved. Right. And I think it's resolvable. And I, I would hope at some point we have enough money where somebody can do some appropriate DNA testing. Because mm-hmm. it will certainly exonerate some some suspects and, and it may confirm one of them. Right. That's true. They may have already caught the, the person they just don't know, you know. Right. Or at least they could close the case, you know. Um and then your books are available, I know, most outlets, but do you have a author's site where you prefer people buy books from you? So Yeah, it's called Amazon.com. Okay, so you just go to, <laughs> you just go to Amazon. I, yeah. so different authors I interview have different sites because they get a higher royalty at certain places, so I always you know, like them to pump I, that I out. I do that, and I, I just choose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not one of those guys that shows up, you know, if I'm talking to a library with a box of books. It's mm-hmm. really not my shtick. I, I prefer to talk about the subjects. I, I'm not, this isn't about selling books. Mm-hmm. This is about let's talk about these cases and draw some light and attention to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you certainly have a lot of books out there, uh, Blaine. And I think people get into reading one or two of your books. They're going to enjoy a lot of the other ones too. Um, you know. Yeah, definitely. The the one I did with my daughter on the murder of Maggie Hume was one that went on the New York times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is rare for a Battle Creek subject. I yeah. mean, <laughs> and, you know, that's another case that it, it just still tears at me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, but we get people that show up and say, I know who did that too. Uh-huh. Um, so. Yeah. We'll have to have you have to have you back on and talk about that at some other time. Oh, I'd love that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, to me, that's a that's an easier case to almost to go through from a perspective that it really comes down to two potential suspects, and mm-hmm. I'm happy to discuss both of them. Right, right. Well, do you have any other new books that you're working on that fans can get excited about? Well, I, quite literally, I have had five books out since January this wow. year. So you're rolling uh, them out, the- yeah. All of them have been on the bestseller list. I'm doing a lot of military sci-fi right now mm-hmm. um, just because it's fun and I enjoy doing it. And uh, so I have a whole series called Land and Sea that has just 
been mm-hmm. phenomenal. I mean, it's all, all of the books today are still on bestseller lists on Amazon. So right. um, usually you make a quick splash and you're out, but these are hanging in. So, you know, honestly, just take a look through, you know, run my name through amazon.com and you're going to find all sorts of stuff. Well, good and for you. It's, it's good to see someone successful out there in the world of writing. It's inspiring to the rest of us that are writing books. <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> It's a passion, and yeah. I retired from my full-time job in the corporate world so I could write full-time, so yeah. I enjoy doing it. That's great. You definitely have done a great job at it. Well, I appreciate you coming back on uh, today, Blaine. It's been fun talking to you, and uh, hopefully we can get some more people out there reading this book, and maybe we'll get some answers to uh, who actually killed Daisy Zick someday. That would be really Let's nice. Let's hope that's the case. Yep. Well, thanks Thank a you. lot. Well, I've been speaking with Blaine Pardo. He is the author of Murder in Battle Creek, The Mysterious Death of Daisy Zick. And you can find that book on Amazon. I'll put the link to that in the description of this podcast, as well as his website, if you want to reach out to him. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. <laughs>